Uh, last week we looked at our first gate, uh, looking at uh, Nehemiah's gates, uh, the ten gates around the, the city of Jerusalem uh, that were broken down, and they were broken down because of the fact that uh, Israel had given themselves to idolatry, and they turned their, their eyes away from the Lord and their heart from the Lord. And because of that, he had to send in Nebuchadnezzar to destroy uh, Jerusalem. And so Nehemiah, many years later, uh, came back after the 70 years of captivity. And a little time after that, was burdened about the walls being broken down in Jerusalem. Sometime before that, they had already repaired the temple. So they had somewhat of the temple uh, worship established. But their city was totally undefended. There was no walls protecting it. And many times that's what it is, and especially when a person gets born again, uh, Christ comes in their heart. The temple is established, but many times they don't have the walls up. I remember when I was in my first, uh, when I got saved many, many moons ago in the middle, middle of uh, the 90s, and I received Christ as my Savior, uh, how I thought, boy, this is great. And I tell you, it was like a new life. I, it was like my eyes were open. I felt light as a feather. My sins were gone. Phew. Wow, was that good. Amen. But I'll tell you what I didn't have. I didn't have some walls up. Because of that, I hit a backslidden state. It almost took me out. And then I came back to the Lord, and he was gracious enough to help me to get back on track again. And that's when he called me to preach, and I got back to the Lord and, and so forth. But I'll tell you, you know, you got to be careful because sometimes you get so on fire. But you got to remember, the temple is one part, but you need to protect that temple. You need to put the walls around it. But we're not like, uh, you know, a colony. We're not like a Hutterite colony or Amish colony where we put walls around it with no doors in it. <laughs> Amen. We got, we got doors. And as Nehemiah went out to scope out the destruction of Jerusalem and trying to find out what really is going on as he was scoping out the, the walls and the destruction, he went up to the fountain gate and it was found that, or the water gate, and he, and he couldn't find his way through. Couldn't find his way through. The Bible says the beast that was under him, it could not pass through. And so he realized there was a lot of work to do here. We didn't even have gates that were set up, you know, that he could enter into the city. And so what they began to do, we see in Nehemiah chapter 3, that Nehemiah established a system where the people that were building the walls would build by their homes. And so if you were living close to this wall, that wall, that's the portion of wall that you and your family would build up to protect. It made it personal. It made it like, hey, I'm not just doing this for the city. I'm doing this for my family, <laughs> you know. It's the same with this church. You know, sometimes we get lost in what's going on around us and what people are doing and so forth. And, but we don't realize that the walls that we're establishing here are for our families, and so we have to have a part of that building because it's going to be our families that take the hit. Amen? And so that's why we're concerned about local church and having separation standards and different things like that to protect us from the things of this world. Because they are dangerous. <laughs> Children will look at walls that parents have put around their life and they'll say, well, these walls are there to keep me in. They're, they're, they're there to limit me from exploring and being everything I can be. And they don't realize that behind those walls are wolves. But the parents know that because they've got bit a few times. Amen. And so they built a strong wall. And even though the kids may have to just take by faith that their parents are doing this for their own good, you know, it is for their good. It's not to limit them. But right from the beginning in the book of Genesis, it's been Satan's desire to deceive people 
into thinking that somehow God is keeping something from you. And those walls are a danger. And now it's become even church doctrine. In many, many churches, they look at the separation standards as some sort of hindrance to keep you from experiencing the whole Christianity. And that's not true. The walls of separation and standards are there to protect you from the wolves, protect you from the things that are going to hurt you so you can have a full and joyous Christian life. Amen? And so that's what we look at when we look at Jerusalem. The city of Jerusalem really means the city of peace. Jeru, city, and shalom is peace. And that is what we're supposed to be like in Christ, our life in Christ. But we're not isolationists. We don't just hide ourselves in some corner of the earth where nobody sees us. The Bible says we're supposed to shine as lights in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation. So in the middle of it, here we are, you know, Jesus in his prayer in John 17 says, I pray not that thou takest them from the world, but I pray that thou keepest them from the evil. He says, I don't want to take you out. I want to leave you there. I've got a purpose for you. But one thing I'm praying about for you is that, the, that we help you stay away from the evil that will influence your life. And that's the, that's the importance of every spiritual authority in your life. Whether that's mom or dad, whether it's your pastor it's the teachers, the Sunday school teachers, they're all there to protect us and to give us what we need to protect us from the evil that is in the world. Now, people have a different line of what e evil is or not. Well, that's okay. I got no problem with that. <laughs> well, well, unless you're willing to stand up and take the hit for the whole church, you, know, you better just submit to what the Bible says. You know, the thing is, when it comes down to the end, you're not going to be there to stand in between me and God. I'll have to face them on my own. And every man in this room will have to do the same. Every man in this room will face God on how we handled our families, our wives and our children, and the stands and the walls that we built to protect them. And then the time we put into the temple and the worship and having God at the center of our life. You know, that's a huge responsibility. That's, our, that's, that's the, the purpose of spiritual authority in our lives. Amen. Amen. And so these gates, we got to have some gates. Notice that the first one we looked at there where the arrow is, it's the, the sheep gate. That was the gate we looked at last week, how they brought the lambs and the sheep in that were brought in for the slaughter for a sacrifice at the temple. That's the gate that they would come into. That was renamed the Stephen's, Stephen's Gate because that's the gate where Stephen, the <clears throat> first Christian martyr in Jerusalem, was killed right at that gate. And I keep thinking he probably heard the bleeding of the sheep in the background reminding him of what Jesus Christ did for him on the cross of Calvary and he was willing to give his life because Jesus gave his life for him. Amen. So today it's a picture to us as believers as a, uh, a death to self. This is the first gate that we have to open up in our lives. Death to self. We're going to face the world. You know, many times I'm scared, fearful. I don't know if that's the right word, but probably <laughs> fearful for my children. <clears throat> you know, sometimes we want to push them out in the world and you'll get a job and do this and that. I'm not, so, I'm not so geared up for that. I want to make sure if we put them out there that they're protected. Oh, well, they got to face it sometime. Well, they'll face it, but we got to prepare them to face it. 
And so I remember one guy says, well, why don't you put your kids in that school over there? And I remember we had a, a really rough school in my first ministry there. And of course, we homeschooled our kids. And I don't look down on those that don't do that, but I'm just saying every one of us will be stand before God on who teaches our kids. You know, and I wasn't willing to just put that into somebody else's hands. And so we, we, we did that. We, we trained our, taught our kids. And the ones that are graduated, they graduated from the Friesen School of Academics. <laughs> Say, oh, that explains it all. <laughs> you know? And so we've got to protect our kids. But that sheep gate is very important. We've got to die to self. We're going to meet this world. You know, you're going to have to go and get a job sooner or later. You're going to have to face some of these bad characters, you know. You've got to go to the grocery store and face some of these people. Some of these, you know, you get a job and you start working the, the counter or you start working a desk and you've got people coming from all over demanding things from you. And these are, these, some of these are very bad people. Some of them are very good. But some of them are very rude, <laughs> very demanding, very accusatory, very offended. It's a tough world to, to navigate in. So we got to learn how to, how to respond to that. And the first step in that is die to self. Yeah. You ever seen these videos they have on YouTube? You have someone doing something wrong, someone responds, they react. That's not Christian. That's why Jesus said if someone smites thee, to turn the other cheek. He's not saying that you never defend yourself, but what he's saying is that we ought not, we ought not be reactionary. Mm-hmm. When someone insults us, and that's what it says when, he, when someone slaps you, so basically what, what the whole mentality is of someone actually just taking their backhand and slapping you, and that was a sign of insult. It wasn't really I'm picking a fight, it's more I'm insulting you. Yeah. <laughs> I'm belittling you. And that's where many people, they can't hand that, handle that belittling. And so they'll react to that. Because that's because we're not at peace in our own hearts about who we are. We can't look at them and say, well, they're wrong. So <laughs> that's why the Bible says, Great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. Because if you're grounded in the scriptures and grounded in the, in the, in the identity that God has given you from the word of God, you're not going to be offended if someone just slaps you like that you're going to be more concerned about their spiritual welfare or who they're hurting, <laughs> you know? And so this first gate is very important. Notice that the next gate we have going around is the fish gate. And as they began to um, build these gates, this is the next gate that they went to. And you find that in Nehemiah chapter 3, verse number 3, it says, but the fish gate did the, the sons of Hassaniah build, who also laid the beams thereof and set up the doors thereof, the locks thereof, and the bars thereof. Now this fish gate was here because the fishermen from the sea would come in and bring their fish into this gate for for commerce. Immediately, what does that bring to your mind? You know, the scriptures say that Jesus called to his disciples and he saith unto them, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. If there's, if there's any need today, this gate needs to be rebuilt. Yes, yes, you know? But notice that it's the second gate, not the first. But it's really close to the beginning. Yeah, that means it's a very important part of a Christian's life to establish in your life why you are here. Yes. Why you're, what your purpose really is. 
I mean, you got to get a good job, and I appreciate that. And I know you're looking for the big wages. I'm not against that. You know, get you know, find the job that's good for you and your family. But can I tell you something? That is nowhere near your goal for being here. <laughs> that's something that God will give you as you give yourself to fulfilling your true goal. Yeah. And that is to help people and to reach people. The Jews, they knew who would walk through this gate. The ones that would walk through that gate would be the fishermen. Not everybody would go through that gate. In fact, most people don't like the smell of fish, you know. But they would walk through this gate. And that's why many of the the Pharisees, they they looked at these guys. Are these not Galileans? Are they not just fishermen? Are they not unlearned? They knew exactly who they were because they were the ones that always walked through the, the, the fish gate. So they were, it was a pretty good understanding of what they were doing in the city. And, you know, that's what's going to happen with us. As we begin to walk through that gate, you're going to be, start to know, be known as a fisherman. And they're going to understand that about you. And that's a good thing. You want people to look to you for guidance because you care about their soul. You want to be able to get, you know, you want people that have lost friends to say, hey, can you talk to my friend? Because yeah, yeah, I've seen you walking through that gate. Yes, sir. You understand that? Now, if they never come to you, then they've never seen you walk through the gate. You know, I've had people sometimes that say, hey, I brought my, and they went to other churches. I remember my first ministry, I'd have people come to our church that went to a different church. And they said to me, we brought our friend here to your church this week because they're lost and we knew they'd get the gospel here. But they didn't bring them to their church. So in other words, they saw us walking through the fish gate. So we know these guys. If we want someone to get the gospel, this is where we're going to bring them. And that's what I want Airdrie Baptist Church to become. I want people to know that if they come here, they will get someone caring about their soul. They'll be concerned about eternity and hopefully not leave this place before at least a gospel tract or something is put in their hand where they can know for sure that they can be saved. Amen. That's a, that's a good reputation. <laughs> That'd be the reputation I would want. Not, hey, that guy is so great. Look how talented he is. That's not what it's about. But boy, if we can bring someone there, they could be saved. <laughs> what a great reputation that would be for Airdrie Baptist Church. Amen. 1 John 3.11 says, For this is the message that you've heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Not as Cain, who was of that wicked one, and slew his brother. And wherefore slew he him? Because his own works were evil and his brother's righteous. Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hate you. Folks, people are going to see you walking through this fish gate. Not only on the inside, but on the outside. The world's going to know that you've got an agenda, and that is to reach people. And you know what? When you've got the devil in control of the course of this world, and he's got people within his dynamics that he can control and manipulate, I'll tell you something. When you start putting yourself forward to become someone that will win souls to Christ, don't you think for a second, a week or two will go by before you start feeling the pressure from the world. Now, it may not be through people, and many times it is, and that's the way it mostly is, but there can even be a spiritual oppression. Sometimes I feel that when I make statements in the church, and I remember this many times, I'd make a statement like, I just love this church. I I just love it. I I want to give my life to it. It's like that week the devil just bam, 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 bam. He doesn't want me to love this church. 
He's going to raise up the unsavory uh, characteristics of some within the church to test me on that. You know? And I have to look that square in the eye and say, I still love the church. You're not changing my mind. You understand that? And that's the way all of us should be. You've got to understand that when you love the Lord and you start doing the work of God, the world will hate you. Many people don't want that. They say, well, if that's the way it is, then I'm not going to be a soul winner. Well, if that's the way it is, you're throwing away your eternal purpose. And you really have nothing else. There's not, a, there's not a secondary purpose that God has for you on this planet. <laughs> so either we take that and apply the principles of what Christ did for us on the cross of Calvary and realize that it's going to take death to bring life. Someone's going to have to die here. <laughs> I don't want to die, preacher. Well, the Bible says that if you lose your life, he says, you'll find it. You'll lose your life, you'll find it. But if you try to save your life, you'll lose it. Yes. We need to learn to lose our lives. Not in a physical way, but in a spiritual way. In a mental way. And that's why the first thing I want to look at here is, number one, the connection of the fish gate to the sheep gate. Notice that these, these men that created or that, that built up the sheep gate, they actually sanctified the wall all the way to the fish gate. It's interesting because it's the only part of the wall that was that way. So these two were were spiritually connected. (laughs) That means in order for me to walk through the fish gate, I had to understand what the sheep gate was all about. In order for me to be a soul winner for God and to reach people for Christ, I need to learn to die to myself. And if I can't walk through that sheep gate, there's no way I'm going to go to that second gate. That's why he has it in order the way it is. We're always defending ourselves. We're getting offended at everything that people say about us. And we're just, you know, we're just always on the edge and walking on eggshells with everybody around us. How in the world will you ever reach a soul for Christ? You have to be willing to take a good hit in the face sometimes. And still look at those people and say, I love you anyways. That's what it means to turn the other cheek. It doesn't mean you don't defend yourself if a thief comes in the home and tries to hurt your family. I mean, you do that in my house, I'm sorry. <laughs> if you're expecting that principle to play, play it out, it's not going to happen. <laughs> yeah, you're going to be in trouble. And we got a lot of boys, we got crossbows, we got all kinds of things. We used to have high-powered weapons, but I think Seth took those away. Might have a 22 or two kicking around. <laughs> Remember, we talked about the civil law on Wednesday. But if somebody comes in your house at night and they get killed, hey, no blood on my hands. <laughs> Say, well, I guess I've got to change my plans for this week. <laughs> Anyways, if you look at John chapter 12, verse 24, it says this. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. He that loveth his life shall lose it, and he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. Don't you want your life in this world to count for eternity? Wouldn't it be a terrible thing that every minute you spent in this life before eternity is wasted? Well, I'm going to heaven. Well, praise God, and I'm happy for you. I really am. I'm glad that you're saved and you're going to heaven. But I'm going to tell you something. You have such a privilege in this short time that you have for God to be able to look at you and say, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. For him to look at you and say, You lived your life to please me. Or would you rather just 
when you see him coming, just kind of turn your head away. And the Bible says that many will be ashamed at his coming. Because we live for ourselves. We didn't live for others. Corn of wheat must fall to the ground and die. It has to abide alone many times. But if it does die and truly die, it will bring forth much fruit. That's the connection of the sheep gate to the fish gate. Amen. You want to win souls, we're going to have to die. We're going to have to lose our lives. Yeah, I know it's an inconvenience on a Thursday night to go knock doors. I know we have to face some fears and how, what people may say and doors may close and maybe I'll bump into an old work friend or whatever it is. But there has to be a time that you die. There has to be a time where all that stuff doesn't matter anymore. Dead man doesn't feel a whole lot that way. The dead man's not worried about those things. <laughs> and all you have is a life in you that Christ has given you to reach out the way he looked at souls. There's not one soul he looked at and he was scared of reaching, no matter who it was. You know, that's the only life that can really function to reach souls through us. And that's why our lives must die. See, if we're going out in our own strength, in our own flesh, in our own lives, we'll always meet these fears and we'll meet these things that keep holding us back. And even though we have a desire, like Jesus said, your spirit is willing, but your flesh is weak. I, I have no doubt in this room today, there's not one Christian that is born again that says, preacher, if I could win someone to Christ, that would be the greatest thing in my life. I remember before I led someone to Christ, that was the burning thing of my life. I, I wanted that more than anything. <laughs> I felt ashamed that I had not bring in, brought someone to Christ. And I'd pray about it, and I'd go out every week, and we'd knock doors, and we'd pray all the way there that the Lord would give us a soul that, that we could say we want someone to Jesus Christ. That was a big part yeah. Amen. Of, of the desire of my heart. And it ought to be a desire in your heart. And I'll tell you something, if you do have that desire, the Lord will give it to you. <laughs> but if you don't have a desire... If, you, if you're still living your life and you haven't died to your life, you're not letting Christ's passion come through you, you're not going to get that soul. It's not going to come slap you in the head by accident. <laughs> Amen? Yeah. Remember my first soul that I wanted to Christ. <laughs> we were out soul winning, and I was a, a second man uh, for about six months. I didn't say a word at a door. I had one of my friends, and he did all the leading, and I would just kind of go with him and I would pray. And I think half the thing is he didn't want to give up a door. He was so zealous to tell people about Jesus. I don't think he could have shut up long enough. But anyways, I was one of, this, one of these quiet people. So I just kind of in the background, I would pray and I'd say, Lord, and, and any soul that got saved through his leadership, I said, we want them to Christ. I never thought for a second that was not my soul as well as his. But there's something different about you bringing someone to Jesus. One day we went out to this little town, it was called Miami, not Florida, but Miami, Manitoba. <laughs> it was just a little small town, I don't know if it's 2,000 people, maybe one, I don't know how, what the, maybe 1,000 or less, uh, probably. It was a dark little town. It was not Christian at all. Occasionally you'd bump into maybe a Pentecostal or something like that, but one house we went to, this lady, she worshipped the goddess Diana. 
really dark place. I remember going there. It was just dark and dingy, and I could just feel the oppression. It, was almost, it almost brought fear into our hearts when we went up to the door. But we did anyways, and we tried to get the gospel to them. And, of course, they didn't receive that. I remember I had an old man that came to the door one time, and, and uh, he just came up, and he was just like this with his cane, and he came up to the door, and I told him he could see there's a scowl like this on his face. And I opened up that door, and I says, Hi, I'm so-and-so, and I'm, I'm from the Baptist church, and i just want just here because I'm concerned about your soul, and I just want to make sure you know how to get to heaven. And he looked at me. He says, if I die, I'm going straight to hell, he says. This is an old fella. He's just scowling. I'm going straight to hell. And I said to him, well, if you're going there, it's because you want to go, because Jesus Christ has given you a way you don't have to. And he just didn't want to hear it. But he didn't close the door on him. He didn't slam the door. I thought, oh, this is something. And so I began to talk to him a little bit. And I said, sir, I'd just like to at least leave you with this gospel track. Nope, don't want it. I said, maybe you don't want it right now. But maybe one day, soon, something in your heart will just prick you to say, you know, maybe I need to know. I says, could you please just take it and just put it on a shelf somewhere? Yeah. Amen. And he grabbed that track with my hand and he goes, all right. <laughs> and he turned around and walked away. Oh, that old man was going straight to hell. I sure hope he read that tract. I hope that he saw the need of that. I don't know. I don't know. Remember I had one lady I witnessed who she was 93 years old. And I had to go back. I probably visited her four or five times in her home. Sat down with her and tried helping her understand. Finally, after about the fifth time, we prayed weekly. Had all our soul winners praying for Florence and wanting her to be saved. And went there one one time she lived in a little house trailer there in the trailer park there in town. And finally one day I says, Florence, wouldn't you like to be saved? She says, yes, I would. She says, can I bow down? I said, well, if you, if you can, you know. I mean, she's an older lady. And sure enough, she just, with the best strength she could, she mustered it up and got on her knees there by that couch. And she prayed and received Christ. That was about the time where I moved to my first ministry there in Kenora, and I, I didn't really have much, much to do with her, but I heard later that she had gone to church. She died just a short time later. Oh, I could tell you story after story. I was thinking, <coughs> we wouldn't have been there. Florence would be in hell. Old Peter used his testimony again this week, talking to someone that old Peter, he was 70-some years old, and when we talked to him about Jesus Christ, his ear hearing aids were going all wacky, and you could hear the Every time you'd say a word, it triggered this series of rings and buzzes, and we told him about Christ, and the first week we went to see him, his son chased us off. No, my dad doesn't want to talk to you. So we went back home and we put him on our prayer list with the church and had all the church praying for him that week and we went back that next week. And then his son wasn't there and he just invited us in and we sat around his table and told him about Christ and, and he got saved. 
He said he had seven heart attacks already. Seven heart attacks. <laughs> Old Peter, I'm sure he's gone by now, but I know where he is. Yeah. He's in glory right now. It's because God's people praying. He's concerning about souls. That's the church's business. That's what it's all about, you know. That's, I think it was about that same time I was going to ministry, and many times I'd, I'd drive out to my first ministry. It's about a three-and-a-half-hour drive on the weekends, and I'd be gone on Sundays, but I heard he came to church that next Sunday, and he was baptized. Praise God. Nobody forced him to do that. Well, I could tell you story after story. But you know what had to happen first? I had to die to myself. I had to not be scared to have that son shoo me off of his house. I had to not be scared in, in praying for him and going back again and saying, you know what, they may just curse us out of the, off the yard again and, and I have to take that chance because our love for him is greater than our fear. And I'll tell you, love for souls is greater than your fear of souls. That's when you can start being used of God. Amen. No fruit, unless we're willing to die to self. Christ knew that he had to die for souls to be saved. We must die. We must die to our own ambitions, our desires, our fears, our worries, all these different things that keep us from being effective for God. We have to die to that. I have to die to my schedule sometimes. I have to die to my bank book and what it would require of me to drive to that town today. And, well, you know, I just don't have gas. And I, if I run out of gas or I don't have enough for the week or whatever, there's all kinds of excuses. Until Jesus comes, we can keep making excuses. Why, why we cannot be used of God to do what he's called us to do. There's got to come a time we just die to all that. You know, I'm not saying be stupid. Remember one time we went out to this town. It was about, oh, I don't know. It must have been a good 45-minute drive from our hometown. And our hometown was pretty small, only about 10,000 people at that time. And there was many smaller towns, of like the one I just talked to you about. And those are the ones we'd go and hit and so forth. And I remember one time it was like minus 34 degrees outside. And we went out there winning souls. Just zealous, but no brains. <laughs> it's called zeal without knowledge. Amen. <laughs> We go to a door and start telling you, of course, our church name is Pemina Valley Baptist Church. Now, you try to say that with a frozen mouth. I tell you, they, they were laughing at us. <laughs> said, What's wrong with you guys? <laughs> we just said, well, we just want to make sure you know how to be saved. Oh, I tell you, that's amazing. Spoke to people, actually. <laughs> they thought we were idiots, but, you know, God uses idiots, I guess. Amen. <laughs> Die to your own philosophies. Now, you know, there's philosophies built around our desire not to get out of our comfort zone. There really is. I think Calvinism is one of those. You know, William Carey, remember, he was, he was regarded as, the, as really the, the father of modern Baptist missions. Where we learned our missions from William Carey. He was a missionary to India. And he was severely burdened for the people of, of India. And of course, during that time, the Baptists were either regular Baptists or they were called particular Baptists. 
Now they're still finding their way. Now there was another group emerging from that, which was what we are, the independent Baptists, because we weren't regular, nor were we particular. Particular Baptists were those that believed that God chose for you. It was a form of Calvinism. And so when he approached his mission board to go out and fund him to go out and reach souls in India, he says, oh, if God wanted them saved, he'd, he'd go do it himself. But that wasn't good enough. In fact, one of his first publications was how God uses means to reach men. Yeah. It wasn't a very flowing title or anything like that, but it, it just got to the point how God uses means. He uses people. He uses resources. He uses our money. He uses our time. He uses the things that we have and we have to sacrifice in order for him to reach these souls for Christ. And I tell you what, he's not going to do it himself without us. Amen. But he'll go before us. Yeah, praise God. And he'll open those doors for us. And he spent six years on that mission field without having one convert. He buried children in India. He buried his wife in India. That man had to truly die to himself. His, he, had a, he created a printing press. He actually developed the Bible in their own language. This man was just amazing what he did for the Lord. The printing press burned down. Over and over, he just faced challenge after challenge. Yet he stayed on the mission field and continued. Yes, continued. That's why we look to William Carey as our example. You need to die to self. There can be no Jeff reason in my soul winning. Amen. There must only be Christ in my soul winning. Amen. I may introduce myself, I'm Jeff reason, but there's no Jeff reason. There can't be any Jeff reason in my soul winning. Amen. I've got to get past that. And that's what I pray for before I go, Lord, help me to get out of the way so you can do something. It's not just about going door knocking. The other day, like I told you, I was out in Canadian Tire and bumped into somebody. That morning, I, I'm glad I prayed. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad I was asking God. And I've been burdened all week and saying, Lord, you've got to do something in my life. You've got to do something in the church. Yeah. You've got to help these people that are struggling and not moving forward for you. And I've been burdened all week long praying for you. So the Lord says, oh, I think you're dead enough. And he gave me an opportunity to give the gospel out in, inside of a Canadian tire store. People walking back and forth. <laughs> I had no fear of what people heard. In fact, I wanted them all to hear. I wish I'd had a microphone. I would have just blasted it out through that whole store. Yeah, amen. <laughs> amen. That was a divine appointment. I could sense the spirit of God working. I was so grateful when I got out of that store, went to my truck, and I, I had tears coming out my eyes. Lord, thank you. I know he needed that, but Lord, I needed that too. Yes. You need that. Amen. You need to know that God is using you every day. Amen. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down. For the Lord upholdeth him with his hand. Amen. Yes. Your steps order of the Lord. There's only one way your steps can be ordered. When you die to yourself. Yes. When you're saying, Lord, I'm up for a divine appointment today. Yes. I'm up to you taking my schedule off of my calendar today. 
I'm up for you changing what I thought I wanted to do for what you want to do. That's soul winning. Not just knocking doors. So that's a connection. Number two is a conviction of the fish gate. The source of conviction is the Holy Spirit of God. We know that. We depend upon that. We can't do it without God's Spirit. Ye shall be witnesses unto me. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. It's interesting, this first verse here in chapter 3, where it says, But the fish gate did the sons of uh, Hassaniah build. The sons of Hassaniah. So we don't know who these people were. They were just the sons. They had no names. That's interesting. And what's Hassaniah? Well, it means prick or thorny. Conviction. <laughs> and so what we have here is, it's interesting how many times when we go fishing, it always involves pointy things. <laughs> you know? I know in those days they had nets. Not to, They were probably a lot smarter than we are. Throw the net out and pull them in. You don't have to worry about getting your hook in your finger. But the Holy Spirit of God, He convicts. He pricks the conscience. The Holy Spirit is that thorn that pricks the conscience of men as we go forth and preach the gospel to every creature. You can say, well, I, I'm just not that good preacher. I'm just not really good with my words, and you know, I'm not really that effective, and so well, That's because you're trusting in yourself. You can just take those simple words that you give, whatever it may be. You may just be telling people how you got saved and what Jesus has done in your life. That always ought to be a part of your witness. How you died. <laughs> Amen. And I'll tell you, the Holy Spirit will take that and he'll just prick the heart and he'll draw that soul to himself. That's why I can very strongly um, and confidently look at somebody when I know God is working. I says, you feel that God is drawing you to himself, don't you? I say, yes, I do. Because the Bible says that unless, the fa- unless you're drawn to the Father, you can't be saved. So he's drawing you. What do you think you ought to do with that, sir? What, what, what ought you to do with that to that one that's drawing you, that gave you the breath in your body, <laughs> that gave you the family that you have, <laughs> that gave you the job that you're working, that takes care of you every day and gives you your daily bread? How ought you to respond to that? Well, I think I better listen. Sure you ought to. <laughs> He wants you to be saved. John 16, 7, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it's expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the, Holy, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he has come, he'll reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. That's his job. See, we can't become the convictors. We've started to do that a little bit. We convict people. In fact, it's just basically a guilt trip that we lay on people. That's not going to win them to Christ. Guilt trips. It has to be Holy Spirit conviction. It has to come from heaven. You don't have the ability to bring someone to Christ. The Holy Spirit has to be the one. Conviction. The sons of conviction. Notice what it says there. The the sons of Hassaniah. couple of things I just want you to see here about how God can use you. Points that I think you need to consider before God can truly 
use you as a soul winner. I think number one is this, discipleship before duty. Discipleship before duty. I think every person's, your, your responsibility as a born-again believer is to become a disciple for the Lord Jesus Christ. That involves being taught through your local church. That means being discipled through preaching of the word of God, being involved in the ministry and all those type of things. You have to choose <clears throat> what kind of disciple you're going to be. But before you can fulfill the duty, we've got to have the discipleship. Matthew 28, 18, it says, And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and on earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. The word observe means to judge. Teaching them to judge all things, to observe, to judge things, and, and to make spiritual decisions about things in their life. We want to be used of God to reach souls. We've got to take discipleship seriously. And that's a part of God's plan for you to be saved and then baptized and then to be taught to judge appropriately and spiritually out of all the things in your life. Then you can fulfill your duty. To do what? To do exactly what happened to you. You got saved and baptized and discipled. Then those that you get saved, guess what they'll do? Get people saved, baptized, and disciples, discipled. And it's a circular thing that keeps going until Jesus comes. Amen. It's the multiplication factor. A disciple is one that's becoming like the master. He's a learner from the master. And, and, and uh, when Jesus told the disciples, I'll make you to become fishers of men. That means I will cause you to be. That means you're not one right now. But this is something that you have to give yourself to. I will cause you to be if you follow me. So you follow Christ. You make that decision to follow him. Allow him to teach you. Allow him to disciple you. And then because of that, you will become a fisher of men. Amen. So let me ask you this. Why is it that people aren't becoming fisher of men? Because the first command has not been taken seriously. Follow me. The first step in following Christ, of course, you've got to be saved. But to the saved, what's the first step? To be scripturally baptized. If I'm scared of giving my testimony to the world in water baptism, how could I ever give them a verbal testimony of what Christ did by dying, being buried, and rising again? I have to become unashamed of Christ first. Amen? I'm going to move on real quick here. What time do we have? All the time I need. I wish everybody was like you. Amen? <laughs> <laughs> I, I won't keep you all night but I will give you a couple more points here Amen. you need to be witnesses before witnessing this is another problem today we, we want to be a witness to people we want to tell people but we don't know what we have witnessed before you ever go to the court of law to become a witness to the situation or the case at hand you must have witnessed something <laughs> So before you become a witness, you have to be a witness. And so many of us, I think, we're really shaky on what, we're, what we have witnessed, and that's probably why we're not witnessing the way we ought to. What have we witnessed? What have you witnessed? 
Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, One moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. For I have delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. I'm witnessing to you something that I've already witnessed, how that Jesus died for me and he was buried, and that he rose up from the grave. Amen. The Bible says in Philippians chapter 1, it says that, we, that we're striving together for the faith of the gospel. And it goes on to say that, that it, uh, I'm trying to bring, I'm going to go there real quick. <laughs> you mean I'm not supposed to have it all memorized? <laughs> It says, only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. Yeah. As it becometh the gospel of Christ. Amen. That it's worthy of the gospel of Christ. Let your lifestyle be as it was worthy of the gospel of Christ. What is the gospel of Christ? The death. Is your lifestyle worthy of the death of Christ? Is your lifestyle worthy of the burial? What have you buried lately? What have you put into the grave and left it there? Is your life worthy of that? Or what about, is your life worthy of the resurrection of Christ? Oh, I'm living the crucified life. That's great. But are you living the resurrected life? Is Christ living his life through you? (laughs) Is my life as it becometh, is it worthy of the gospel? That's important. We need to apply those gospel principles to our lives first before we can go to somebody else and tell you what Jesus did. Here we got people that are just totally depressed with their life, they're discouraged, and they're going to go tell somebody about this great joyous Savior. You know, here I am, I've got sin in my life, I, will, I refuse to let go of it, I'm going to go tell somebody about Jesus who died for all the sins of the world. We're supposed to live as it becometh the gospel of Christ. Amen. That's something out of convictor. You get that? Do you get the little pricks and the thorns poking at you with that? <laughs> Amen. We have truth before testimony. It's so important that we give ourselves to the teaching of the Word of God. I hope you're here today because you want the truth. Amen. You know? My heart is to give out the truth because you need the truth before you can testify. I always tell people, our our message outside of this room is Christ. That means when you go out there, I'll tell you your your topic every time. Talk about Jesus. Talk about what he did for you. Talk about how great he is. Talk about how he is God. Talk about how how he is three. He's one of the three of the Godhead. Amen. Uh, You talk about all those things about Jesus. You talk about how he gave his life. For, for people, how that he was buried, how he suffered, how he died, all these things. You tell everybody about the things that Jesus did. But I'll tell you something, there's truth you need before you can do that. The truth that you need to be taught are within the walls of this church. Sometimes you need to be taught about the purity and inspiration of the scripture. 
And some of even those uh, dry doctrines of the Bible that aren't so exciting. <laughs> These are all things that are being built up in your life and brick upon brick and line upon line and precept upon precept so that your soul becomes stronger. Why? So you can go out there and effectively tell them about Jesus. But your message out there isn't the length of their dresses. Your message out there isn't how long the hair should be. Your message out there isn't even the King James Bible. And I love the King James Bible. Your message out there is Jesus. Your message in here is the King James Bible. In here it's about your modesty. In here it's about your holy living. In here it's about your separation. In here it is about a kind of life that you live and how you act on the job site and all those things. Not when you go to the job and start talking to that person that's lost and on their way to hell and they're cursing every other word and you're expecting them to reform themselves. They need the gospel first. You need to preach Christ to them. Then bring them in here and we'll teach them the rest. That's what it's about. Our message is Christ. We preach Christ and Him crucified, the Bible says. Amen. Truth before testimony. Give yourself to the truth of the Word of God. Stephen, when he went out that day, when he died at the sheep gate, what he was doing, he was preaching truth. He was simply just relaying the truth of the past and the, the spiritual significance that meant to everybody in the Jewish religion. He's saying, this is what Joseph did. This is what Moses did. This is what David did. This is what it meant. This is what God was doing. And they hated it. Yeah. But notice truth before testimony. Yeah. See, folks, you've got to have truth in your life. You've got to have a foundation of truth. And that's why you need to give yourself to be a disciple. <laughs> Somebody was asking this morning, they say, you know, so do people always go to three services? And I understand that, folks, because people aren't used to that. Most churches today, I heard someone tell me last week, yeah, with the church I used to go to in Ontario, they used to have three services, but they canceled two of them so we could spend more time with our families. Now, the reason why he told me that is because I just preached that message where I was talking about the 168 hours in the week and how little time we give to the preaching of the Word of God. Yeah. And I'm going tell you this, I'm sure that time that was given to preaching before and now is not probably isn't time that they're putting towards their family. It's probably put in towards self-time. That I can watch the hockey game. I can watch the football game. Self-time. The one thing that the Lord says to deny is the one thing that we don't give up. Yeah. And then we as preachers are giving you more of it? Absolutely not. I'm going to tell you, until Jesus Christ comes, I'm going to keep challenging your self time. I'm not going to challenge your family time. I'm not going to challenge your work time and your sleep time. But I will challenge your self time because you've got way too much of it. And we're scrolling through our phones. We're looking on the internet. We're living for ourselves. And when we could be doing something for God, and then we complain that there's too much preaching, or we got to be home in half an hour. 168 hours in the week. How much are you giving yourself to the truth of the word of God? How much time are you giving to giving a solid foundation in your life? Oh, the devil hates that. So does your flesh. It's fighting you every step of the way. It hates it when you're laying that brick upon brick. It's saying, hey, this is getting in the way of what I want out of life. That's why Jesus says you first got to go to the sheep gate. 
you got to get that want to changed. Truth before testimony. Oh, we got to be sold out to that. And I was trying to be kind to this person. And he's talking to me about the three services. And I was just saying, I was giving him my testimony. I says, hey, I started to go to church on Sunday mornings. And I wouldn't be very faithful. I'd in and out. And, but then I said, well, you know what? It's Sunday. Might as well go on a Sunday night. What else am I going to do? And little but little, I gave myself. Then all of a sudden, Wednesdays, that was harder for me because I didn't like all that praying going on. My flesh was just kind of, I don't know about this thing breaking off into groups and everybody expecting me to pray. You know, there's a lot of people who don't go to church and I've had people say, oh, if we wouldn't pray so much, people would come. I said, no, they need to cross that bridge. Yeah. I need to cross that bridge. Yeah. And I did. As a young, immature believer, and I crossed that bridge and I started to pray, I said, oh, this isn't so bad. See, I'm not going to let the devil dictate what we're going to do in the church or the flesh, you know. Let's keep the bar where the bar is supposed to be and we can just jump over it when we get there. The Lord will give us the strength that we need. Amen. I told him if I would have never done that, gone to that third service a week and been faithful at it, he would have never called me to preach. I don't know if he wouldn't have called me to preach whether there would have been an alley harness here tonight. She got saved in our first youth group in my first ministry, 12 years old. And her sister, who's serving over in Tabor, is a, yeah. in the church over there, serving the Lord. If I just would have not given truth the serious attention it deserved. It's only as I took those steps that the Lord brought me to the next step. I feel sorry for people that think that one service is enough a week. Because I know it's not. I'm sorry, I'm not trying to offend you. And I don't want to make you feel bad about it, but I do want to, somebody's got to tell you this. Yeah. I had one, well, it's just, well, I got one service. And someone said, is all three services the same message? <laughs> no, sir. I got so much truth, I could have eight services a week and still not cover everything I want to preach. Amen. I got series waiting to happen. <laughs> you know what I mean? You know that's true. This morning I had two, two points, only got one of them done. Every message I preach becomes a series. My Sunday school lesson had five points. What is it? Yeah, five points, and I've done one point every service. And guess what? Next week I'll do another point. Because all we're trying to do is lay truth down. Lay the truth down. Truth before testimony. The fourth thing is humility before honor. Next unto them, the, the Tekoites repaired, but their nobles put not their necks to the work of their Lord. There were some important people that would not put their necks to the work. The fish gate was not prepared by, repaired by the nobles. It was not prepared by the, the well-known people. It was repaired by people that were not known. Simply the sons of conviction. That's who repaired the fish gate, the sons of conviction. No names. Don't know who they were. Wasn't the nobles. They didn't put their neck to the work. It was the sons of conviction. Are you a son of conviction? (laughs) 
just the sons of conviction. We've got to humble ourselves. The fear of the Lord is in the instruction of wisdom before honor is humility. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life and he that winneth souls is wise. Daniel 12.3 And they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament. And they that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. Oh, (laughs) you want to talk about honor. The Lord will highly honor those that humble themselves. Highly honor those that will give themselves to his work in the world that we live in. There has to be humility before honor. 1 Thessalonians 2.19, Paul said, For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? For ye are our glory and joy. What's your glory and joy? What are you looking forward to? What's going to be your most exciting thing when Jesus Christ comes again? The apostle says, you want to know what my crown of rejoicing is? The souls that are going to be there that I'm going to meet when Jesus Christ comes again. That's my joy. So that's why he endured. See, Jesus endured the cross, despising the shame, for the joy that was set before him. The Apostle Paul, he, for the joy that was set before him, he, he had people throw stones at him. He had people hurt him, and he had shipwrecks, and many different things, and he starved many times, and all these different things happened to him because he was willing to humble himself before the honor. Amen? Let me just give you my last point. Very short. The call of the fish gate. Zephaniah 1.10. You say, wow, what a verse. You guys ever read Zephaniah? (laughs) It's an exciting book. Talks about the day of the Lord. It shall come to pass in that day, saith the Lord, that there shall be a noise of a cry from the fish gate. And then howling from the second, and a great crashing from the hills. It's a call from the fish gate. The day of the Lord, the day of judgment, will a call come. The cry from the fish gate is well heard during times when judgment is near. Then also when people start listening. Many do not believe the judgments of God. You know, way back, they used to sing songs about God's judgment. I know I like the hymns, Power and the Blood. I love Victory in Jesus. But think about singing a hymn about judgment. God's judgment. Zephaniah 1.15, that day is a day of wrath, a day of trouble and distress, a day of wasteness and desolation, a day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness. The song is... Day of wrath, O day of mourning. See fulfilled the prophet's warning. Heaven and earth and ashes burning. O what fear man's bosom rendeth when from heaven the judge descendeth on whose sentence all dependeth. That's an old hymn. Let's bow our heads. The Bible says in Psalm 126, he that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. 
The call of the fish gate. The call of the fish gate. Are you walking through that gate tonight? Are you willing to be numbered with those that are the fishers of men? Are you willing to die to yourself tonight? Are you willing to give yourself to the conviction? Do you hear the call? God's calling you tonight to be a fisher of men. Follow me, and I'll make you to become fishers of men.